Hello and welcome to this week's podcast for module 7, which is Unity and Diversity. Unity and Diversity is uh, characterising really the human society. We are one in the sense that we're all humans, and yet there is a great deal of diversity. That diversity comes in many different forms. And really through time, we see the evolution of cultures, languages, ideas for religion, race, cultural forms, social hierarchies, caste systems, and beliefs in exceptionalism. So humanity through time has found all sorts of ways in which we qualify ourselves or qualify other people and their cultures. And these are, in some ways, enrichments of the human experience, but they also carry some inherent risks of division and claims of exceptionalism, which really have very little foundation in reality. Nonetheless, they become very strong cultural forces. We look at this subject area because, again, when we're considering global solutions and when we need to build solutions that address global issues and global problems, one of the things that is required is to remove or understand the differences between us and the boundaries between us to create a unified approach to resolving and finding solutions to these global issues. It's very clear that within a nation, divisions can arise, which can be very destructive and also really impinge on the human rights of people. Uh, this can happen within a nation, within a culture, and even within a religion, and within various forms of social hierarchy. So I think it's important that we have an understanding of these various forces within society that act upon us. We talked previously about being aware of the cultural context in which we are born. Maybe the religion that we are born into, maybe the ideas about our ethnic group that we are subjected to, maybe ideas of exceptionalism as in a specialness of our cultural group. And I think to state from the outset, the beautiful thing about humanity and a proper analysis of all this is that what we create as boundaries between us, what are promoted as potential worldviews or views about exceptionalism, really have no foundation ultimately in anything real. And let's start by establishing the beginning. And the beginning of humanity is in Africa. And maybe contrary to what some people think, there is a huge amount of evidence, massive evidence, substantial evidence to establish that human beings were the result of an evolutionary process that started within Africa resulted in several different kinds of what's called hominids, early uh, proto-humans, not quite homo sapiens. 
but out of that group of different forms of hominid or species of hominid eventually it coalesced into one group uh, homo sapiens who eventually migrated out of africa and actually intermingled with another group of hominids called neanderthals it now seems that there was a lot of interaction and mating between the two groups uh, you can certainly investigate all this and find out a lot about the early stages of uh, evolution, the physical evolution that eventually led to modern humans. This is why the greatest genetic diversity amongst human beings is in Africa. And as you go through the slide presentation, you'll see that there's more diversity in Africa than in all the other continents combined. And that's because modern humans originated in Africa and have lived there the longest. They've had time to evolve enormous genetic diversity, which extends to skin color. That's why in Africa you have the tallest people in the world, uh, I think amongst the Dika of South Sudan, but also you have some of the smallest people in the world as well. And you have a great variety of physiologies, different types of um, genetic uh, disposition as regards to the way humans look. Just to make clear that, of course, we all started out because we were in Africa as having dark skin. And that's simply because uh, in evolutionary terms, evolution always seeks to maximize the potential for survival and procreativity in a continent that has a great deal of sunlight the skin tone over time darkens in order to cope with the exposure to the ultraviolet when humans moved to europe eventually uh, the skin became lighter because it wasn't necessary to protect the skin so much from sunlight and there's an advantage to lighter skin in the sense of being able to create more vitamin D. So that as with all evolution, evolution comes up with a solution which is the best balance between the different possibilities. So in Africa, when there's intense sunlight, it's more of a priority to protect the skin by having darker skin. In a climate where there's less sun, it's more of a priority to have lighter skin, which means that you can produce more vitamin D. So that's the only consideration as regards to the evolutionary process. There's no other significance to skin color whatsoever. And in fact, it's only, you know, one simple gene that decides um, the particular tone or uh, color of someone's skin. Very often uh, ideas of race are wholly wrong and in fact it's not really a thing. Uh, race in a sense is a construct by humans in regards to understanding or creating a framework for understanding the differences between us or you know observed differences between human beings. But as it shows in the slideshow, as you see, 
when you compare a chimpanzee with a human being, that genetically they are 99% the same. Now they look very different, of course, and the capacity between them is very different. A lower chimp can uh, often behave in a very intelligent way and have intelligent behaviours, use tools and things like that. There is still a vast difference between what a chimpanzee is capable of and what a human being is capable of. So that extra 1% of genes has obviously huge significance in terms of what the eventual capacity of a species is. We only have around 34,000 genes that decide everything within our body and our functionality, uh, which we call the human genome. The DNA profiles of a chimpanzee and a human being are nearly 99% the same. The genes of any two humans, of course, are even more alike. But after our pre-human ancestors shed most of their bodily hair, we evolved highly visible differences in skin color. Tiny tweaks in our DNA account for them. So it's interesting, I think, to understand genetics because genetics really cuts across the idea of any form of exceptionalism. Um, and I'll explain why. Really, feudalism and ideas of exceptionalism or ideas that were promoted before that one race might have an advantage over another race in intelligence or capability and so on are completely undermined by an understanding of genetics. Be uh, one of the beautiful things about it is that if you are born to uh, farmers, for instance, your father and mother are a farmer, it doesn't mean that you have a gene set that makes you a good farmer. Maybe your father and mother weren't particularly musical, but you could be born with genes that are highly uh, advantageous in terms of being a musician or musical or being an artist or being a mathematician. It is true that genes can give advantages in certain areas to a human being. But it isn't true that if you are born of farmers, you have farmers genes and you will pass on farmers genes. In a way, it's the whole point of sexual reproduction is that gene sets between two partners get mixed up and recombined. The reason that happens is that it has a massive evolutionary advantage by combining the two gene sets. And as a group, that can aid resistance to disease. We have sex, in fact, because of the advantage it gives to us in terms of fighting disease. One thing that's apparent from research is that we begin to discriminate from a very early age. It's a natural thing that humans do. It's essential that we notice differences, patterns, traits, what's the same or similar, and what is different, and what forms a group. Our brains are pre-programmed to be able to perform these cognitive tasks, as are the brains of all complex life forms. We would not be able to survive if we didn't have this ability.
And so we see that from a young age, children become aware of differences, all kinds of differences, including skin color and ethnicity. Differences and similarities become the basis for preference, discrimination and prejudice. So um, I included in the slides two interviews that you could listen to that really explain this uh, process, uh, this reality for human beings as we are growing up. Babies as young as three months can distinguish faces by colour and three-year-olds three are fully capable of understanding racial categories and even the hierarchies that come from them. Um, the trick is to accept that this categorization is normal and to keep it from mutating into racism. So yes, we can refer to racial categories. We've established there's no such thing as race, but there is such a thing as racial categories. Although there really is no foundation for the idea of race, um, it was something created and promoted uh, during the age of empire. Unfortunately, uh, people then tried to establish that there was differences between the races and that one was superior to the other. Of course, this transmuted into all sorts of uh, negative results and prejudice towards different peoples around the world. We still have the legacy of that uh, currently. Why it's so destructive is because although there's no such thing as race, there is a such thing as racism. There is a such a thing as an ethnic group or a people or even a religious group believing in their specialness and their exceptionalism. Um, so this belief in specialness, exceptionalism, can manifest in various ways in different forms. But certainly it manifests within a religion where, for instance, if we take the example of Christianity, it is the truth, the way and the light and no other religion is. And you get exceptionalist beliefs as in we have something that is special and it is exclusive in the sense that it excludes others or you have to go through a certain set of requirements before you can be exceptional within the group. And this applies to many religions and many groups. So, you know, historically that's been used within the age of empires as a reasoning and excuse for one party, one nation, one group uh, dominating and feeling as though they could take the land or rule over another group or another peoples. Um, obviously something that we want to leave behind in history along with the ideas that go with it and promote that. So this is why it's so important because if we're to have a unified humanity that can take on the mission of solving the problems of this century, I would contend that like last week when we were discussing political systems that we need healthy non-corrupt political systems in order to take on this 
we also need to get rid of the idea of race, of exceptionalism, and these boundaries that are false boundaries between uh, different ethnic groups and uh, between different peoples in the world. We need to get beyond that to a more unified vision and a unified state. That's not to say that all differences need to go or that there shouldn't be such a thing as ethnic ethnicity or a culture because obviously there are positive values to those things as well in terms of providing enrichment and diversity in human life and the way we live and different things that have come out of a culture such as cooking, the way we cook, the languages we have, the music that we might create or listen to and so on. Part of the reason why people like to travel is to be um, immersed in a new culture, to experience differences, diversity. So the, these, these are positive things. But what we need to do is be aware of how that can be transmuted into uh, ideas of a specialness and racism um, and be the basis for prejudice, which is negative. So there's, there's one thing that I would like to say about that. There are different ways in which even modern societies or partially modern societies support social hierarchies. In the USA, there is still a lot of racial segregation, whole towns and large areas of cities that are divided up along racial lines. Added to this, there is fundamental wealth inequality. And this is also evident in different racial groups. One of the most fundamentally important ways to reduce racism and all forms of prejudice is to reduce the inequality in wealth and opportunity in minority communities or ethnic and racial groupings. We simply, you just can't expect to remove the integration of racist and discriminatory attitudes in the people of a nation if we actually educate them to be racist and to hold these prejudices by allowing and promoting fundamental disadvantages in wealth and opportunity. If we take the tendency of a child when they are growing up to notice and register social groupings, difference, social hierarchies, then as they grow up, they may see that people with black skin tend to live in the poorest neighborhoods, are underrepresented at the higher levels of social hierarchies, lack equal opportunity. If they see all these things, they're hardly likely to not develop prejudicial views. Um, you can't really get rid of racism until you get rid of unfair disadvantage and inequality. Because the reality is you can say there's no such thing as racism all you like. But as a child growing up or in a social group growing up, if you see all the time that there are these disparities between these different ethnic groups. One is much more advantaged, the other is much more disadvantaged. You are laying the foundation for racist and discriminatory attitudes. 
So I think this is why this is so fundamentally important that you can't resolve these things unless you have a fairer society in which there is equal opportunity, no matter what group that you belong to or how you identify yourself or your ethnic group. That is the true way to get rid of discrimination and prejudice. And this applies within a nation and it applies within the world itself. Just in the same way, if you we have these abundant nations using vast amounts of resources, and then we have so many nations in which most of the people are very poor or live in poverty and don't use hardly any resources, you again setting up uh, a situation where ideas will become prevalent or attitudes will become prevalent that manifest those same prejudices and misunderstandings and discrimination. In other words, a world that is so unequal will never develop healthy attitudes to all parts and all representatives of humanity. It'll never happen. There must be a foundation of equal rights and equal use of resources and everybody in the world having enough, enough to live on, enough to have a career or a, a nice place to live, an education and choices in their life. That is the mission. You can't remove the prejudice unless you have that foundation. This is my contention. This is what I think. I think there's plenty of evidence to support that. And therefore, it's not simply about telling people not to be prejudiced or telling them that there's no such thing as race or telling them that all, we're all genetically one group, really, with minor uh, differences. There's nothing in there except for what we create as humans in terms of the boundaries between us or the ideas that we have about each other. Our century cannot afford this remains of the thinking and ignorance from the previous centuries. We need to leave all that behind and create a more unified and informed vision of humanity. That is the only way uh, that we create a solid foundation for addressing the global issues of our time. All right, well, that's it for the podcast. Uh, do examine the slides and the links and so on, and then uh, be very interesting to hear your thoughts and see the results in the assignments.